Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here's your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi. Last week, we talked about how the death of our child was not in our plan. And if you didn't hear that one, you might want to go back and listen to it because this week we're going to talk about four keys to unlock the door of the prison of our grief. And I actually talked about the first key last week. And so this week is actually a continuation of that. So I recommend that you go back and listen to podcast 59, episode 59, if you haven't heard that yet, and then come back to this one. Of course, you don't have to. Welcome. And I'm glad you're joining me today. I'm sorry you have a reason to. So let's go ahead and jump into this. The first key I want to talk to you about is coming into right alignment. Now, what do I mean by that? We are a spiritual being having a physical experience here on this earth. As you are probably aware, we are made up of three parts. We are three-part beings. We have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Some people say that we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in our body, something along that line. Now, God is always at work in us through the Holy Spirit living inside of us to help us come into a right alignment. And I want you to picture something. I want you to picture body, soul, and spirit as though they were three separate beings, three separate people. And they're all facing the same direction. They're lined up one behind the other, and they're all facing the same direction. And they're connected. So let's say they're holding on to a rope. And the one in the front is the body, the flesh. The one in the middle is the soul. Our soul is our thoughts, our mind, our emotions, our will. Like, I will do this, I won't do that. So that is our soul. And then we have our spirit, which is alive to God at this point. We are alive to God because his spirit is in our spirit now. It lives inside of us. So they're all facing the same direction. And when we, some people call it, get saved. But when we become alive to God again through Jesus, it's like our spirit now turns the opposite direction. It's an about face. We're not going in the direction of the world. We're not going in the direction of our own flesh and our own desires at least our spirit's not. So our spirit is now going the opposite direction because it's going towards God. Now that means our soul and our flesh are still facing the way they originally were. And so they begin to tug on each other. And there's this tug of war because our flesh wants to go one way, our spirit wants to go the other way, and our soul is caught in the middle. So when we don't feed our soul, when we allow ourselves to spiral down into depression and darkness, or we have very negative thoughts and we don't do anything to replace those, then our flesh and our soul are going one way, our spirit's going the other way, and it's like our spirit's just being dragged along. But when we make a decision that we're going to go the other way. We want to go towards God. We need God. We desperately need His Spirit at work in us. And we need our spirit to grow and be strong. It's our soul that does that. You think about that verse that talks about work out your salvation. 
or talking about our minds, transforming our minds. That's all part of our soul. And that's the part that we are in charge of getting it to line up with our spirit. And we get to choose what we put in is what's going to come out, is what we're going to strengthen. So like I said, if we strengthen all the negative thoughts and the, and the darkness and we just allow ourselves to keep going there and we don't do anything to try to strengthen our soul to line up with our spirit, we're going to stay in that tug of war that's going to keep us in the darkness and in, in those fleshly things and heading in the direction of the world, which we know is not the best place to be. And when we think of the good, we, we try to find things to be thankful for. We do our best to come into God's presence and listen to music that strengthens us, those kinds of things. Then our soul will turn, and now it is lined up with the spirit. It's not lined up with the flesh and the things of the world and the negative things. And I know we've been through trauma and traumatic things. And when I talk about this, I'm not talking about that we just forget our child died and we're all better now. That's impossible. But what I'm talking about is getting out of this prison that we're in of grief. So when we allow our soul to have input of spiritual things and of truth, then our soul, it's like our soul turns around and it lines up with the spirit. And so now the spirit and the soul are the ones pulling on the flesh. And so now you're lined up with the things of the spirit. You're lined up with the things of God. We are spiritual beings. And that is where the peace and the things that we so desperately need when our child dies, that's where they're going to come from. But we have to get our soul lined up with our spirit instead of lined up with our flesh. The second key that I want to talk about is abiding in him or resting in him. Now, I believe with every fiber of my being that the reason I wasn't angry with God, and I, and I understand if you are, okay, if that's a struggle that you have, this is not a judgment thing at all. But what I'm saying is, I didn't go through that, and I believe that it's because I learned many years ago how to abide in Him through horrible, difficult times, no matter what, good times, bad times, to stay in Him, to stay focused in Him, to make sure I was wrapped up in His presence and just His glory and His peace and do whatever I could to stay in that place. About 20 years ago, our family went through a really dark, dark time. And it affected us for several years, this thing that happened. It was deeply personal, and it changed all of our lives forever. Nobody in our family is the same. Just like when our child dies, we're not the same. This event that happened in our family, none of us came out the same, out the other side of this. And it was during that time that I got a more clear understanding of a familiar scripture. And it's Psalm 91. And the first couple of verses says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I used to think that this verse was kind of redundant. He who dwells in the secret place shall abide. It's kind of like, aren't dwelling and abiding the same thing? I just, I didn't get, it just seemed like it was kind of repeating itself. But what I learned during this dark time, what God showed me, was that a dwelling place is your home. That's where you live. To abide 
has a different meaning. To abide, actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, some of the meanings are to wait for, to endure without yielding, to bear patiently, to accept without objection. There's a tough one. To continue in a place or to remain stable or fixed. So if I plug this in to Psalm 91, into these first two verses, what I discovered it means is that when we choose to live and dwell in God's presence, if God's presence becomes our home, the place where we do everything we can to live in his presence, then we will remain stable. We'll remain in a fixed place under God's place of shade. And to me, that, boy, that's just, that's an incredible thing to me. And it doesn't mean that we won't be in the heat. We're being in the shade, right? It doesn't mean that we're not going to be in the heat. And this has a lot more to do with being, being in his presence, not what we do, but being. We're called human beings, right? We're so busy trying to figure out what God wants us to do. And we don't know how to just be in relationship with him and in his presence. It's a place of rest. It's not striving and working on how do I get God to do something? How do I get God to do what I want and need him to do? But resting in what he is already doing behind the scenes after placing something in his hands. I'm going to say that again. When we put something in his hands and then we rest in what he's doing behind the scenes, we've given it to him. He is at work, whether we can see it, whether we can feel it or not. If we give something to him, he's at work. And we come into that place of rest and trust. We're not striving. We're not working. We're not trying to make something happen. We're resting in what he is doing. And he can do a whole lot more than we can, right? Sometimes we don't think so, but but he can. I have a granddaughter, Elena, and she does this thing that we call Elena position. Ever since she was an infant, she puts both of her hands back behind her head, and she just leans back into her hands. You know, her elbows are out, and she just leans back into her head. And my husband, Dave, he likes to get pictures of her in what we call the Elena position. And even at six and seven years old, she still does what we call Elena position. If she's watching TV, she'll fall asleep that way in her bed. She's just very comfortable. It's just a place of rest. And that is what I call Elena position. When Becca died, because I had learned this, because I had learned how to rest, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not saying that. But when I find myself in that anxiety and that depression and that I know what I need, I need to just rest in him. I need to give this to him and I need to rest in it because I can't carry this. I can't carry the burden of the death of my daughter. And there are other things in life, but especially this. So when Becca died, even though everything came crashing down, and everything was so dark. I didn't even know this kind of darkness and depression even existed. But because I had learned to rest in him through other things in my life, I was able to remain fixed on him, being my source of everything that I needed. And you can be in this place too. You can put yourself in a place of rest. Now, maybe you're where you can do this and maybe you're not. Maybe you're driving or whatever. But Put yourself in Elena position right now. Go ahead. I'm doing it. 
You can't see me, but I'm doing it. I've got my hands locked behind my head with my elbows out. Just that place of rest. So that's just a physical symbol of putting yourself in a place where you are not striving and working to get God to do something, but resting in what he is doing behind the scenes after placing this whole suffocating dark mess into his hands. And remaining or resting in him has allowed me to be a part of something so much bigger than myself. Truly, it's above and beyond what I could have ever asked or ever thought of when Becca died eight years ago now. Things like becoming an author. I mean, I have seven books out there right now. The National Ministry of Grieving Parents Sharing Hope, GPS Hope. Living in a motor home to be mobile for this ministry that we're doing to offer support and resources to bereaved parents. None of that was on my radar. I could never have imagined this or thought this up in my wildest dreams nine years ago. But here I am. And the thing is, we have to accept that there are going to be answers we're not going to receive this side of heaven. I know it's hard, but when we can just rest in him and trust him and we're not fighting him, we can rest in who he is, knowing that he is working on giving you a firm foundation for your life, even in the middle of this darkness and this pain. It's like he's taking you off of shifting sand and putting you on the rock. The third key I want to talk about is to surrender. Now, this is different than resting. Have you ever sung in a song, Jesus is Lord or Jesus be Lord of my life or spoken those words? When we do that, his being Lord of our lives trumps everything. When we say, Jesus, be Lord of my life, we are giving him permission to be at work in however he chooses to be at work. And some of us may think, well, if I would have known that that meant my child was going to die and he was going to work something through that in my life, I would have never said that. And maybe that's why we didn't know it, right? I just had that thought. People talk about religion being a crutch, but for me, God is not my crutch. He is my wheelchair. I need him to carry me through this life, especially when my daughter died. And I have really come to learn in a whole new way that in my own weakness, he really is made strong. He is my strength. I don't have my own strength to go through this life anymore. I need his strength. Years ago, I had a situation where I was praying for God to fix something. And I think it might have been during this dark, dark time that I told you about that happened in our family 20 years or so ago. And, you know, I was praying one of those fix-it prayers. God, this is what I need you to do. I need you to step in here, and I need you to make this right, and this is what I need you to do. And as I was praying this fix-it prayer, I heard God speak to my heart. And he said, Laura, which prayer do you want me to answer? And it, it took me by surprise. I'm like, I, I don't know what you mean. And he said, well, for so many years, you have always prayed, God, do what you want to do in my life to get me where you want me to be. And now you're praying this fix-it prayer. And what if I want to use this situation to answer 
your underlying long-term prayer, God, do whatever you want to do in my life to get me where you want me to be. Which prayer do you want me to answer? The fix-it prayer or the one giving me permission to do what I want to do? And I, I took the fix-it prayer off the table. And yes, I, I, that whole thing about it's cost me the life of my daughter, in a sense. And it's so hard to reconcile that, I, I know. But eight years, nine years on the other side of this, I can still say, Jesus, be Lord of my life and do what you want to do to get me where you want me to be, whatever that looks like. And being this far on the other side of it, I can tell you it's so much better. You don't stay in that place forever. You don't. It seems like you're going to, but you don't, especially if you surrender and say, God, do what you want to do in my life through this mess, through this pain, through this darkness. And I think sometimes the question that we have such a hard time with is, why would God do this to me? Why would he do this to my child? Why would he do this to my family? And that actually leads me into the fourth key that I want to talk about. And that's this whole why question. When terrible things happen in our lives, we often ask God, why did you let this happen? How many times in the past have you had something happen that seemed to be bad or wrong, but you found out later it was actually God doing something for you behind the scenes that you couldn't see at the time? I'll give you just one quick example. When Dave and I first got married, he graduated from IT, computer science, four-year degree, and he could not get a job in our area. The places around here told him, you go work in a big city, go get a job where there are jobs available, get the experience, and then come back, and people will hire you. Well, he didn't feel like it was God's will for him to leave the area. Actually, he'll say (laughs) he met someone that was pretty special that he didn't want to move away from. So God did open a door for him, but it was a very low-paying job. It was for a nonprofit organization. But what they didn't pay in salary, they had extremely good benefits. And The thing was, we had no idea when we got married that that's what he needed because that was when Rebecca was three. She was two when we got married. I had her from a previous relationship. So I had her coming into the marriage. And we had no idea that a year later, our daughter, three years old, was going to be diagnosed with cancer and have to go through nine months of chemo and have her leg amputated. I mean, that was expensive stuff. And he had such good insurance that we paid next to nothing for all of that. It was all covered by his insurance. And so that's just one example of, you know, being so disappointed that I had to have a job to supplement the income. It wasn't enough to live on. But God knew what was coming. And he gave Dave a job that gave us the insurance that we needed that we didn't know at the time we were going to need. Now, remember, I have been in that place of suffocating darkness myself after the death of our daughter, and I've told God just to kill me now and take me off of this earth. I did not want to live anymore, even though Dave and I were married, and we have four other kids, two grandkids, international ministry. I had so many things to live for, but I didn't want to be here anymore after Becca died, and I begged God to just take me home, take me out of here. But we need to realize that the death of our child didn't blindside God. 
He knows what we can't possibly know, and he can see what we can't possibly see. And the fact is, our child is safe in the father's arms. And fear and faith are both rooted in the unknown. It's the unknown future. We either fear the unknown future or we have faith that God is already in our future. He's already there to meet us and to help us with what we need in the future. And it's our choice which one we're going to walk in. Am I going to walk in fear or am I going to walk in faith? Plus, our child doesn't have to face the pain and the tragedies that this world puts us through. Now, I know that's really bittersweet, but I think about how Becca doesn't have to deal with all this COVID stuff. She would have been high risk, not dealing with all this riots and protesting and all this stuff that we're going through down here. She doesn't have to go through that. The death of our child changes us. At first, most of us don't like ourselves and the darkness that we're carrying around. But I have heard so many bereaved parents who are further on this road than I am way further. But so many parents I've talked to say that they would not want to go back to the person they were before their child died. Because once we come out of that darkness and we are a changed person, there are some things about us that are so much better now. The compassion we have. We, we don't have room for drama. So we tend to cut drama out of our lives. We don't have the energy for it. Most of the time, we're more kind. There are just so many things about us. We think differently. We think so much deeper. And we're so much stronger in what we can carry. And there's just so many things that we grow in as we go further down the road in this journey. When we think of our loss, our pain can make it hard to even breathe at times. But when we think of our child's gain, it lifts some of that suffocating darkness and it allows us to see a glimmer of hope and even the possibility that maybe God isn't as cruel as we thought he was. And maybe, maybe it is possible to believe that we can live again and actually find happiness while finishing our time here on this earth. So, what do we change the why question to? Instead of asking God why, how about if we start asking him how? How are you going to get me out of this darkness? How are you going to get me to want to live again? How are you going to get me to laugh without feeling guilty that I'm betraying my child because he or she isn't here anymore? How are you going to take that verse that people throw at me? Well, God says he'll work it all out for good, how are you going to do that with the death of my child? How can you possibly turn that into anything even remotely good? How, God? How are you going to do this? And I believe that when we start asking those how questions, that God looks down and he says, I am so glad you asked. Let me show you. So I encourage you, instead of asking why, start asking how. So those are the four keys. Our lives will never be the same. We're never going to be the same. But within that, we can allow the death of our child not to be wasted. We can allow God's love to wash over us and heal us and to take this change in us and use it against the enemy who is the one that brought death into this world. So don't give up. Don't give up on life. Don't give up on hope. Don't give up on happiness and laughter and joy. Hang on one day, one minute, one breath at a time if that's where you are. And when it's time to do nothing but rest, that's okay. Do nothing but rest and cry or whatever else you need to do. 
And when it's time to get up and push your way through it, do it. Fight for it. Knowing others have been able to live beyond the death of their child shows you that it is possible. Plus, we're going to be your greatest encouragers because we understand the process. We understand the journey and how long it takes because we've been through it ourselves. And especially, don't give up on God. God did not do this to you. The sin and the corruption of this world has hit you and me harder than most people with the death of our children. And we're going to deal with the pain and the suffering in this life, all of us are going to, because we live in a fallen, sinful world. We're not immune to these things hitting us. And we have to understand that so that when these hard things hit us, our faith isn't shattered and we fall apart and we blame God. I mentioned something earlier, the wise man and the foolish man, building it on the rock. I thought that my life was built on the rock until Becca died and I fell apart. But I know that I know that I know now that my life is built on the rock. It is not on shifting sand. It is on the rock. God is not against us. God is not against you. He does have something good for each one of us. God has life and light that penetrates and shatters the suffocating darkness and the intense pain. He has a peace for each of us that goes beyond anything we can understand. And this peace causes us to delight in his mercy and grace in our lives within the horrible earthly loss. God has a plan for every single one of us. And it's a plan that has blessings for you and for me that we don't even know about yet. No, this was not in our plan to be listening to a podcast for grieving parents. And while God did not do this to you, God knew how he was going to make it part of his plan for you. And once you can believe this truth, You will be well on your way to receiving the light and the life and the peace and the blessings that God has for you beyond the darkness and the pain. If you would like to go a bit deeper into the whole body, soul, and spirit that I was talking about earlier, you may be interested in a free course that I've put together on this topic. And it's based on my book that I mentioned in last week's episode, When Tragedy Strikes, Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. Now, in this course, there is the free mini course that really gets into depth about body, soul, and spirit. And then there are two other options for the course. And you can find all of that information at gpshope.org slash WTS course. That link will also be in the show notes. And if I could just ask you, if you appreciate this podcast, would you please give it a rating, hopefully five stars, and maybe take 30, 60 seconds to write a review? Because the more ratings and reviews a podcast has, the more it rises up to the top as parents are looking for something that will give them hope and help them on this journey. And then when they can read what others have said about it, it helps them to make the decision to give it a try. So if you would do that, I would really appreciate it. And I have a feeling there are a lot of other parents who would appreciate that as they are looking for the hope that this podcast might be able to give them. So let's go ahead and get to our birthday segment. This week, we have Beth Simmons Marsh, who was born on June 12th. 
and she is forever 58. We celebrate with Beth's family the day that she came into this world. If you would like to have your child's birthday announced, it's so simple. I would be honored to do that. All you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. There's just a little form. Fill it out, submit it. I'll get your information, and I will announce your child's birthday the week of the podcast of their birthday. Before I go, there was a scripture that I mentioned earlier, and it was Ephesians 3.20, and it says that God will do above and beyond what we can ask or think or imagine. This is a verse that has become so awesome to me after Becca died. In fact, within just the last couple of years, because I realized that when we are in the darkest place of our grief, this scripture is something we can hold on to because we don't think we will ever get out of this darkness. And we can't imagine ever getting to a place of enjoying life again. And this is what God will do. He will do above and beyond what you can think or imagine. So hold on to this verse and let God be God in your life. Rest in him. Re-listen to this episode if you need to. Go back to 59. I hope this has been helpful to you. And I'll be talking to you next week. Remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.